Nobody knows the troubles I have seen. Dearest Heavenly Father, Creator, Redeemer, thank you for knowing the troubles we've seen. Thank you for entering in to those troubles. And thank you for promising one day troubles will be no more. In your name, amen. It was not a storybook relationship. They had been spending a lot of time together. They actually met at summer camp. They were working together. He said to her, we should date. She said to him, we should not. But they kept spending time together and she caved. They started dating for three years. They dated. And then he asked her to marry him. And she said yes. One week after graduation, they got married. He was going into ministry. She wanted to become a doctor. When she graduated, a year later, she was accepted into Loma Linda. And they moved out to that warmer climate. And on days like today, we do not have any desire to go to a warmer climate. And there they lived for the next few years, following their plan. And they were the type of couple they had a plan. But her final year of medical school, something changed. Seems as though the plan had been derailed. She was away on different rotations, and she came back for Thanksgiving to him. And that Saturday night after Thanksgiving, she looked him in the eyes and told him that she had never loved him. She left the following morning. And just like that, it seems the marriage disintegrated. There was no more talking about it. It was finalized over email. I know this story well because it's mine. I, I remember shortly thereafter visiting my parents there in Tennessee and a good friend, Bob Gamenthaler, was eating with us. 
And he said to me, don't let this shake your confidence. At the time, I, <laughs> my confidence wasn't what I was worried about. But little did I know how true those words were. Because when the person who knows you better than anyone else is able to look you in the eyes and tell you that they don't love you, to tell you that they would rather be alone than to be with you, it messes you up. And I was broken. It's been 11 years now. But still, still every now and again, someone will come along and say the right combination of words that brings it all right back to the surface. For at least my first year here at Pioneer, I felt like a fraud. The audacity to stand up in front of you and proclaim the gospel when, when I was broken. Good news. Jesus has a thing for broken people. It's not just that he, he's okay with them. He seeks them out. And he doesn't just seek them out. Oh, he turns their lives upside down. There's so many stories that we could look at. But I invite you to open your Bibles up to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, you have a story that unfolds against a backdrop of all kinds of politics. You see, Jesus' disciples didn't really approve of even where they were. Good Jews walked the long way, not because it was more scenic, but because it was less Samaritan. But here Jesus had said, no, we're going directly straight through Samaria. And there they stopped along the way. The disciples went into town to get food, something they weren't looking forward to because it would involve them interacting with Samaritans. And Jesus stops at the well. And a woman comes, and Jesus says, Won't you give me a drink? This question troubled this woman beyond all reasonable belief because, excuse me, First of all, you're a man. Men shouldn't be talking to women. And second of all, you're a Jew. So I'm a Samaritan and a woman. What are you doing? Why, why are you breaking all the rules right now? And I love Jesus' response. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, 
you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman looks back at Jesus, and she's like, excuse me, you don't even have a bucket, and this well is deep. How in the world are you going to give me anything? So Jesus goes on. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I have to give will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. He had her attention. She said, okay, I'll bite. And he says, wait, first, get your husband. Don't think for a moment that Jesus didn't know what he was saying. Jesus dove right into the depths of her brokenness. She tried evading and saying, you've been misinformed, I, I don't actually have a husband. Jesus, not being steered away, says, that's true. You've had five, and the, one you're, the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she does the exact same thing that all of us would want to do in this situation. She changes the subject. And not just a little bit. She chooses the subject <laughs> that was the very reason Jews didn't walk through this place. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans fought over where to worship. This, this one idea of where to worship God was so divisive that they would not talk to each other. So this is what she brings up. Let's not pretend that we don't bring up politics to keep away from dealing with what's going on in our lives either. We've got lots of ways that we mask our brokenness. And we're good at it. We're good at putting on facades that everything is together. We're really good at it here at Pioneer. Where we've got lights and cameras and everything seems to be well orchestrated. And we come here and we smile and we say happy Sabbath and everybody's friendly and everything seems to be going well. But on the inside... I'd like to stand up here and believe that I could talk about brokenness without you knowing what I'm talking about, but that's not true. Although your story differs from mine because it's yours, we cannot grow up in this world without experiencing the brokenness that comes from pain, the brokenness of sin. We cannot do that. And so we don our own masks, making it appear as though everything is sparkly on the outside. Social media, the greatest masquerade of all, where we curate exactly what people see by posting the good pictures from the right angles. by carefully crafting pithy comments and statements that make us seem 
Oh, so clever. But Jesus, Jesus is not derailed. He takes that question head on. Says, oh, where to worship? By the way, the Jews are right. But a time is coming when all of that is going to change. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as to these to worship him. And then he does the unthinkable. Then Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. This is the first time he does that. It's not to his disciples. It's not to followers. It's this Samaritan broken woman. But what he does in that act of revealing who he truly is after he has revealed who she truly is. It's completely accepted her. Brokenness and all. And then this conversation that at first glance seems convoluted, talking about water, talking about worship. In actuality, he's talking about the same thing the entire way through. Let's first look at living water. I want you to open your Bibles up to Isaiah chapter 43. I would imagine a lot of you here remember Pastor Dwight's sermon series, I Will Do a New Thing. If you have not heard that, find that, listen to it. It's a powerful picture of what God longs to do. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old, for I am about to do a new thing. For now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Right here with this woman at the well, Jesus is living out that new thing. He is doing that very new thing that he promised in Isaiah. What is that new thing? Well, you find that in the second part of the conversation. Where he talks about true worshipers. And this is good news for us during a pandemic, too. Because Jesus is making the case, it's not going to be about where you worship. Whether you're in the sanctuary or whether you're at home. That's, that's not the important part. The important part is that indwelling Christ. 
True worship is when Christ is in you. That was the message of the living water. That was the message of this conversation. And it gets better. In John chapter 15, Jesus talks about this more. Verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. There's something about when God abides in us, he's going to do a new thing. It turns things upside down because this woman who came out at noon to avoid the town drops her water jugs and runs back to town because anybody and everybody that she can tell, she wants them to know she's found the Messiah. This is the good news because when Christ is in us, we are no longer defined by our brokenness. We're defined by him. He's in us now. And our brokenness now becomes the mask. That no longer is who we are. That's the facade on the outside that others see. This is the new thing he longs to do. And when he abides in you, you're going to bear fruit. Not that you're going to be guilted into it. Not that you're going to be asked to do it. It is a natural reaction because when he is in you, he cannot help but escape at every possible moment. This is a story about evangelism. This woman, this woman who had been rejected so many times, now goes and brings the entire town to Jesus. What would this kind of evangelism look like for Pioneer? What would it look like for us? What would it do to our lives if Christ really lived in us? How would it change our relationships? I'm not talking about the kind of evangelism where you're going door to door knocking and handing out pamphlets. That's good. I'm not talking about the kind of evangelism where you have meetings and you ask people to come to you. That, that's good. But that's not what's happening here. Jesus 
who wasn't in Jerusalem waiting for the Samaritan to come to him. He went to her, and that, that's love on the move. This is the picture that we got this from. And if that same love is dwelling in us, then we too have got to get on the move. We've got to be reaching out to those around us. And it doesn't have to be where you're going to them preaching the fundamental beliefs. Interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't cover those in this conversation. He does something significantly more profound. He sees her brokenness and he accepts her. He redeems her. He lives out the gospel in that interaction. And as his disciples, he has invited each and every one of us to do the very same thing. Love on the move is not about an attractional model of ministry. It's about a missional model where we go out sharing that love that has changed our lives. A few weeks ago, we decided that we are going to do something nice for our neighbors and we wanted to work on building that relationship and Emmett decided he was going to go with me down to talk to the neighbors. And so before we left, I said, Let, let's pray. He said, okay. We prayed. Prayed a prayer that Jesus would help us become friends. At the end of the prayer, Emmett looked at me with the most quizzical look. And he said, why did you pray that prayer? I said, because I, I want them to become our friends. I want to be friends with them so that we can introduce them to Jesus. Emmett says, I don't understand because they're already my friend. That's, that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Before we meet, we're already friends. And if you don't think that this story is about evangelism, you've got to read the, the follow-up conversation with the disciples. The disciples are trying to figure out what in the world Jesus is doing talking to a Samaritan woman? Verse 35 of John chapter 4, Jesus says, Do not say, four months more, then comes the harvest. But I tell you, look around and see how the fields are ripe with harvest. The reaper is ready, already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. This 
the saying that holds true. One reaps, one sows and another reaps. This was not a positive thing. This was talking about you planting your garden and your neighbor comes in. I remember in Loma Linda, I had an orange tree and I would watch those oranges grow. And I would look forward to that day when they would be ripe and I was going to go out and I was going to get them. And every single year, down to like the day before I was going to go get them, my neighbors would come and clean that tree completely. It's not positive when we talk about one sows and another reaps. But Jesus turns that on its head too. The Seventh-day Adventists, we live with a long legacy of so many have sowed before us. But we can no longer say there are four months left. The harvest is ready, people. The harvest is ready, and if Christ is living in you, then you've got to go out and bring people back to him. This isn't a job for someone else. This isn't a job just for pastors, evangelists, teachers. This is a job for his disciples. Will you be love on the move? And dearest Heavenly Father, God, let that song be our prayer. God, live out your life within us so that as we leave this place, let us not leave as broken, but let us leave as redeemed. Let us be love on the move wherever you take us. In your name, amen.